Hey, welcome to the Mostly Skateboarding sticker commercial. I'm your host, Templeton Elliott, and I'm here to let you know that there's only one way in the whole wide world to get the new Mostly Skateboarding stickers, and that's by making a donation to the Kevin Wilkins Fund on GoFundMe. So far, we've raised over $250 to help Kevin in his fight against prostate cancer. Kevin recruited me to write for the skateboard mag after seeing what I was doing with the original Mostly Skateboarding blog. That was my second big break in skateboarding. He gave a lot of people their break in skateboarding. So donate at least $10 to the Kevin Wilkins Fund. Forward your receipt to mostlyskateboarding at gmail.com along with your mailing address, and I'll send you some stickers. You can find a link to donate in this week's show notes. Now, on to the show. Hey, welcome to the Mostly Skateboarding Podcast. I'm your host, Templeton Elliott, as you already know, and I'm joined this week by Patrick Kagongo and Jason from Frozen and Carbonite. There was some big news from Element this week that we got to get into. We're devoting the whole episode to Element its evolution, its future, and the future of these riders who just left. Element has had quite a run since it first hit the scene as Underworld Element in 1992. This week, Element made waves by announcing the departure of Nigel Houston, Dominic Walker, and Chris Cookie Colburn. Patrick, how did Element get to where it is today? That's a great question. I mean, they're coming up on 30 years, I guess, and that initial run is Underworld Element, uh, with Sky Pager, followed by Fine Artist Volume 1, and then their kind of transition into a slightly more traditional, less artsy company. Um, there were a lot of companies in the 90s that were kind of mining that same sort of look and feel, but they got it so right. I just rewatched Sky Pager last night for Harold Hunter's part, and also Jeff Pang's too. I mean, you've got the roots of Zoo York in there, in Fine Artists, you, actually, in Fine Artists. And in Sky Pager, you've got hints of what would be the amazing DC scene that was showcased in Eastern Exposure 3 in 1996. It was just that whole look, the whole feel, Sophisto clothing, which is something that uh, I believe Andy Howell went on to do after a couple of years doing Element. Honestly, I think time. Time comes for everyone. And eventually, as a skateboard company, you get washed. It's very, 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 very difficult to get as big as Element got and maintain your cool factor. Jason, we got to mind you for this because you were there. You were skating, you're a plan B kid, you're a world kid. You know, what was it like? What, what was the vibe around Element when you were coming up? So listen, when Element came, Underworld Element came out, it was just way too sick. It, it started as an offshoot of a new deal, but they kind of like doubled down, like quadrupled down on the kind of hip hop type art direction that new deal was kind of fucking with with their uh, board graphic like they had the illest east coast riders one of the two of the illest sf riders like abaceta and stranger who was just like a fucking ruler and yeah it was way too sick man like they had that one ad where it was like all their mug shots but their name was their their tag with like the graffiti graffiti crew they were in except for julian julian was just julian stranger but anyway, yeah, their whole vibe was just way too sick. Like, yeah, Andy Howe, like, he was, it seemed like he was trying to start, like, a skating slash art slash hip-hop commune, like, down in Atlanta or something. You know, like, there was that group, Y'all So Stupid, you remember those? Like, I think mm-hmm. in some way, like, Lil John was in that mix somehow, like, I've heard that he used to skate or whatever. But yeah, Element, when they came out, when when they were underworld, the they were just, like, way too sick, dude. Like, Sky Pager is like a definite like uh artifact of that early 90s like graffiti skate culture hip-hop crossover you know what i mean yeah i feel that and, and you know what you actually touched upon something interesting too and especially re-watching sky pager and fine artists last night was i mean you can kind of see them as a missing link to palace almost i mean and i think about that because there's some footage of south bank in there yeah oh yeah because they had dog they had the euro team skating street and being cool long before that was fashionable oh yeah they had the curtis mccann was like a low-key ruler in london you know that's my understanding so yeah they made london cool they also had mike i might be mispronouncing his name like mike de like rest in peace from uh, the netherlands so yeah mm-hmm. man they had they had it locked down like worldwide pretty much like templeton what do you think like how did how did underworld element just become like not only not just the mall brand, but like the personification of mall skateboarding. And then on top of that, how do you end up getting there with this strange contradiction where they still they've always had amazing teams, amazing skaters have always ridden for Element, but 
it's just out of whack with their kind of their general presence in skating. Yeah, I, I feel like it's so strange. Like Underworld Element was so hip hop and graffiti, and then Element turned into this like I, I don't know what you would say like woodsy company. Like like it's not quite hippie. Yeah, yeah, kind of like faux environmentalist kind of. Right, yeah, like power to the planet and stuff like that. Yeah, and it's just yeah, like yeah. such yeah, a strange. That you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's such a strange path to go on, and I I think that it's probably it probably charts the evolution of Element Head Honcho or former Element Head Honcho Johnny Schilleriff. You know, he was probably a graffiti kid, and then as he got older, maybe started reading some more, maybe started having a little bit more money in the bank. He kind of ditched that lifestyle for a different one, and then the brand evolved with that. And I also wonder, you know, if if he was looking at sales sheets and was like, "Wait, this tree logo is doing pretty good. Let's lean into that and ditch like the graffiti graphics that are maybe not doing so well." Got to imagine there's some like number crunching behind some of the evolution. Yeah, and it's weird too thinking about how Element's middle period kind of their imperial phase, right? Where they had an excellent team. They were selling a lot of boards and they came out with a handful of videos that were, they got good rotation. I mean, Third Eye View was good, Element World Tour. Like when they had Kenny Hughes and somehow Kenny Hughes, Chris Markovich, later getting Jeremy Ray, bam. Like managing to attract top tier talent, right? Bill Pepper, like Bill, shout out to Bill Pepper who I just found him on Instagram. He was so good. It's a reach no of damn shit. shame. He's still, uh, he's, still, he's still out there doing it. I don't know if he's out there doing it. I think it looks like he's like a family dude. He's just like yeah, regular yeah. regular grown folk things, but like he was so good. But yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna piggyback on that a little bit. Like yeah, the mid period element, like ninety six, ninety seven to like ninety nine was super legit. There was like Reese Forbes, Tim O'Connor, Markovich, Kenny Hughes, who was just like a beast. Beast on transition, beast on the street. Plus, they had those feather light boards, which I remember skating. And I, I uh, just remember thinking, like, th- these boards are fucking sick. Like, whatever they're doing, whatever Dr. Schmidt is doing, like, these are, yeah, those are probably, like, the best boards that I skated in that era. But, yeah, that middle period element was a, yeah, it was fucking incredible. It's pretty amazing also- that they pulled that off. You know, they, they made that transition, you know, from hip-hop to woodsy, and it worked. You know, that, that's a hard, hard one. You know, you can't imagine like Polar or like Palace switch into woodsy vibes. They, I mean, they could probably do it, but uh, it would it would be wild. Well, it was far more jarring at the time because news traveled significantly slower. And also skating was changing so much. Company lineups were changing. Uh, company images were changing that it was almost kind of expected, right? It was... Maybe their closest analog in skating was Prime, except everybody on Element was way, way, way better. And Prime was a, a very, very good team. And they got they 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 get their sh- fair share of criticism for being the most boring company in the world family. And there were some great riders on there, but Element it seemed to work. And also because Giant Distribution at the time was was Element. New Deal and Mad Circle. So Mad Mad Circle was cool. Mad Circle was artsy hip hop, and I think that some of that flavor that was happening with Underworld Element that became Element that transferred over to Mad Circle because that first like Let the Horns Blow. Oh my God! Like that felt like the successor to Fine Artist Volume One, if only because like having which one you had large not large professor you had um you had main source you had two main source songs in that in that in let the horns blow and you had scott johnson skating to steely dan <laughs> and twist was doing the graphics like you know that was kind of a graffiti element yeah that that first mad circle run with uh that was another new deal offshoot by the way with like the twist graphics and the kind of like uh Easy listing, like Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass, like music supervision and Let the Horns Blow was yeah, that was another thing project that was just like way too sick. You know what I mean? It was way it was way too cool to last, you know what I mean? hmm Yeah. Um uh Justin Gerard, actually, I, I messaged him about like a year and a half ago. Cause he 
he was doing UX for many years, and now I believe he's just a software developer. He was always into computers. Um, he obviously the the brains brains of the operation, uh, as we can tell by his his professional decisions. And you know, it, it's wild to think that we're now coming on like twenty five years, you know, twenty five years on from that project from Mad Circle, and it kind of feels like. And then New Deal was interesting too because New Deal had J B Gillette. Um, is it Matt Milligan or Matt Willigan who was on um, New Deal? Matt Milligan is from Florida. He was on New Deal. Okay. For a while. Yeah, like, Matt, Matt Willigan is from Boston. He was on Mad Circle. So, yeah. Okay. And that's kind of weird, too, that New Deal was the originator. New Deal is one of those companies that had a legendary run, late 80s, early 90s. Don't get nearly as much love as, say, H Street, right? When we're talking about those companies that presided over the the transition, no pun intended, from vert skating into full-blown street skating is king. And by the late 1990s, number one, who was checking for New Deal? I mean, the only thing that really comes of note is the story about Ricky Oyola getting hemmed up in Australia for getting into a, a fight in a pool hall because some guys decided to start a fight with him. Um, and then sometime after that, I guess, I don't know what the hell happened, but Element was the last last brand standing. Like, Templeton, do you think that there's an analog for this in any other, you know, family of companies or, or distribution where the weirdest one ended up becoming the most powerful? Man, I don't know. I, I feel like maybe Underworld Element started out maybe as the weirdest one, but over time, like, all the weird stuff kind of got shaved off and it, it became the blandest one and probably the most palatable to the most accounts. So that's how they survived, you know? It's just, like, not everybody wants to buy, like, a some weird graffiti graphic or whatever but like a nice tree logo that'll that'll look good on anybody's you know shop rack or whatever but like new deal still had some juice like in the early 2000s like with that seven year glitch video mm -hmm. like yeah ricky oil had a solid part and they kind of introduced kenny reed he was like no sliding some like 50 stair hubba in like uzbekistan or whatever you know he had that whole vibe going on so they, they still had some some juice in early 2000s, but after that, I guess they just pulled the plug or whatever. Like, I can't really remember. I feel like I read somewhere that they, they pulled the plug before the video came out. And, you know, the, the team or whatever was like, let us put this video out and maybe save the brand. And they were just kind of like, okay, whatever. Uh, we're still, <laughs> we're still going to shutter this thing. So, yeah, it was like Seven Year Glitch Shit. came out and then no more New Deal. Which felt so weird for, like... You know, us just everyday skaters. Although now in 20, 2021, it still feels weird to say that. It almost seems as though you could do that. You could just say like, hey, we put all this time and money and travel into the video. Can we just put it out? And because of social media, because of YouTube and Vimeo, you could put the video out and at least there'll be an audience for it. Back then it was, you were still making a, it was still being released physically. So somebody had to manufacture the vhs tapes or the dvds and get them out there put them into shops they had to be sold somebody had to get paid for the work you know now you could just say like ah we got the file well, just just throw it up who cares yeah that's what i'm saying it's so weird like they they made that investment into the video just knowing that it was pointless yeah and you know it, what's and that kind of parallels an interesting shift at element too because there was a period right so there was that kind of you know, kind of their glory days, late 90s to the early aughts, right? And then there was a period where it was kind of like, so Bam got on, right? And Bam obviously got yep. on because he got way too big. Him and his whole crew got way too big for Toy Machine, right? And apparently there was some beef about land speed. And then you had Muska get on at some point, right? After Shorty's imploded. And then, like, Mike Vallely was on there for a bit. And what was interesting was like it was just like this weird mix. You had cats who were really, really hot, right? Who were just moving boards because they were in the celebrity realm of skating. And then you had folks who were kind of like, um, and Mike Vallely is still skating, still doing companies, still doing his thing, still doing Black Flag. But at the time, it was kind of like it seemed like he was slowing down a little bit. So you were wondering like, is he going to retire from professional skating? And like there was always like that cycle of folks who would. Uh, just put them on Element, they'll have a board, and they'll get something. Like, weirdly enough, like they got Jeremy Ray on there. Jeremy Ray is still skating, still killing it. But they always, they, I feel like he got a raw deal from them because 
he never got the shine that he should have. Like he was top tier when Plan B went under. Like why was he not on? Why was he not on Krail Tap or something like that? Yeah, it kind of feels like he got put out to pasture a little a little sooner than he should have. Yeah, and and and, and then also. I guess the other weird thing was, you know, Dill has that great quote from his epically later, I think. Maybe it was the second one. You know, there's three. Like, there's the one crazy one. There's the one that's a little bit more chill. And then there's a very serious one. I think it's the, the second or the third one. He says, skateboarding sold its soul to the mall. And that felt like element. And they weren't the only ones. There were a lot of companies that were selling boards in the mall. And God bless them because you got to get this paper. But there was something about element that, like, it became the brand to reach for. Like, do y'all think it was because the graphics were not, they weren't too out there. They weren't terribly offensive. If you're a parent and you're buying your kid their first board, that you're not going to be like, I definitely want anything with that Steve Rocco. Even though Rocco, even Rocco's stuff was pretty tame by that time. That was like, say, 05, 06. That was like the band, like, Hardogram era. You know what I mean? Like, they couldn't sell enough of those Hardogram boards. And that, I think, you know what I mean? Just going to a skate park back then, it was like, there was always like a whole bunch of kids that were like, bam, hardogram. You know what I mean? It was like, they couldn't manufacture those boards fast enough. So that kind of fueled the whole like mall thing or, you know what I mean? But, but like, it got a lot of kids into skating, I suppose, which, you know what I mean? Which is good for the industry. Hopefully some of them are still skating or kept on skating or whatever. So, yeah, that's a good point about bam. I, I imagine that when you have, somebody at that level in your company and it's just like you can't make enough boards and you know you can't supply enough shops and it's just like all right we got to get these we got to get into places where we can like meet our customer and that's those mall shops and then it's like yeah you know once once you're in there it's like well might as well sell some logo boards and you know keep making this money and like i'm i'm never going to begrudge somebody for making money this skateboarding industry is a business you know, you got to make this money. So do it however you can. I'm not going to, um, you know, talk shit on that. No, listen, you got to strike while the iron is hot. You know what I mean? Yeah, big facts. But then here comes the question. This is about that time. So it's 2005, 2006. So you've got two things happening concurrently in skating, right? So you're having the rise of international skating, right? And not just for the random tour here or there, but people actively going to Barcelona, going to London, going to Asia, like big Asia trips, right? Branching out into parts of Africa and South America where there had been very few skaters, you know, maybe like a very big company like S when they went to South Africa in 99. Like now this was becoming a little bit more common. And thanks to broadband, more and more people are interacting and learning about skating and getting into skating, right? But at the same time, you've got Element, right? So at some point in here, they get Niger, right? And he's a child prodigy. He's ridiculously good. He's amazing at contests from a very, very, very young age, right? And he's been with the brand for pretty much since up until now, with, with the exception of a brief stint on a company that I, I guess his dad would run called I&I Skateboards. Yeah. Um, like very much on, like on the Rastafarian tip. And maybe that's the other thing too. Maybe they kind of started to go down the woodsy kind of folksy vibe because they had a couple riders who were – like what Tosh Townen, like he was he was on the suburban Rasta tip, wasn't he? Yeah, and I, I never I felt like Jake Rupp was more the like woodsy woodsy kind of guy. I mean he's he's pretty Rasta kind of, but he felt more like woodsy to me. Yeah, he's he's a chill dude and arguably one of the the best skaters to ever come out of the DMV. And it's almost criminal that he is not celebrated more. You know, it really yeah is. in his. Yeah, in his day, man, Jake Rupp was a beast. Like that last part in uh, Static, Static One. Oof. With that, with that, yeah, seriously, bro. With that Indian music or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, uh, that's an all-timer. Like he was a beast in his day. For yeah. Sure. Definitely like a, definitely like a Maryland, like, you know what I mean? Like rural Maryland, just chill, chill dude. You fucking yeah. rip. You could like, Ollie high as fuck. Super. Like he was like. Like, it's like pretty much like him and Bobby Warrest and a hand, like Brian Tucci, Scott Johnston. I think Chef is from the DMV. I think yeah, I think Sean Sheffy's from the DMV, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's from yeah. actually from DC. Yeah, we so, can't forget Pep, you know, Pepe Martinez. Yeah, Pepe, the late great Pepe Martinez, Andy Stone, 
Darren Harper, aka the Obama of skateboarding, who's still doing it. I think he's, I think he's an electrician. Um, <laughs> he's still doing it. He's like, and his kids are, his kids are getting into skating. But actually, before we dive back into Niger, I have to air a serious grievance, and it kind of is pointed at Element. It's that I don't know who was. Well, maybe it's not pointed at Element, but it's like a, it's a, it's a DMV thing. I don't understand why. All the footage from Freedom Plaza, Pulaski, before Eastern Exposure 3 is so bad. Like, there is no... Did Andy Stone ever have a part that was well-filmed, right? Pepe Martinez, like, these cats were so good. And I felt like, especially Andy Stone, I think he got done dirty because amazing skater, great style, like, fits for days, like, uh, amazing outfits, hat game, very, very strong. But there was never, 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 like, those early videos, like, early to mid-90s videos with any DC footage, the footage was usually awful, right? Finally, you get to Eastern Exposure 3 in 96 with Reese Forbes, and DC looks amazing. It looks beautiful. It's well shot. It's like, you know, it captures the kind of grandeur of the city, and the skating is, you know, you know skaters in frame. It looks good. The shots are good. The trick selection is good. I don't know. I just I just had to get that out there because it like it leaves me with no. a sour taste. Yeah, I mean no, yeah, you're right. Like that one Andy Stone part, I I think it was a fine artist when it when the filmer was uh like it might be the worst filming ever in a skate video. Like you couldn't keep the camera still. You know what I mean? Is that the one where it says fil- filmed by a blind guy on a pogo stick? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, where wherever that qu- quote came from, I was uh yeah, I think it's applicable to that, but. I think it started in like Eastern Exposure Two when that came out. That had like a well-filmed part with uh, Dan Wolf. I think Dan Wolf went down there. And also, <laughs> like the first video I remember, like Pulaski looking like really ill, was that one element section in Four One One. I think it was like fall, probably like late summer or fall '94. Oh, I remember that one. They, yeah, where they skated like diggable plants or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like you know, Pepe was skating in these like red like Nike GTS or whatever, like totally off the cuff. It was just sick, but yeah, that that was the first time I remember Pulaski lo- looking like really sick on video. And I don't know who filmed yeah. that part. Da- Dan Wolf probably had a hand Maybe. in it. Probably I mean, it just it. goes to sh- it just goes to show you. I mean, it, even like um, even the New York footage in Sky Pager is a little iffy, right? But the thing is, like New York is so visually arresting. Oh yeah, you know, you're just like, especially like New York at that time, ninety two, ninety three. Ooh, beautiful, beautiful. But like jumping back to Element Land, right? You know, you had the arrival of Nigra, and obviously the dude, he's I don't think he's ever had a bad year selling boards. But there was like this kind of interesting shift for for the company because they they got to this point where in the mall they they became this kind of walking contradiction of skating, right? They're a definitive mall brand, but they've got great skaters and they continue to attract top tier talent. And is it simply because it's a check? I think so. Like, is it really just that simple? I, I, it's got to be. I mean, I think about when Brandon Westgate left Zoo York and he was kind of mm-hmm. like, at that moment, like the hottest free agent out there. And it was like, is he going to go to Real? Is he going to go to Element? Or where? I don't remember what other brands maybe people talked about toy machine but coming from zoo york i think the only people that could give him a comparable check would be element so i think that's where it goes also i think brandon westgate has a bit of a bland personality like i love his skating and i (laughs) i I actually kind of like his deal like where he's just like like you know i i work on my cranberry bog and stuff like that like I, i think that's Oh yeah, that's, that's fine. But I, you know, he's not like. Uh, I just don't imagine he has like a lot of input into his graphics or anything like that. He's just like, yeah, just get me some boards, fly me to the place, I'll go do the tricks, and mm-hmm. then um, you know, get back to the cranberries. No, I mean that that's the, been the running joke at Element. Like it's like the retirement home for aging pros, like who want like a stable check, like their Apple Yard. You know what I mean? If you have like a family and a mortgage, you know what I mean. Yeah, stable totally. check. What are you gonna do? Same also, it seems with, like uh, Element doesn't ask a lot of their riders. You know, it's like I guess Nija kind of did the heavy lifting 
for Element, and everybody else could kind of chill. So he's uh, Nigel's the Jay Z. Everybody else is uh, the Beanie Siegel and uh, State Property. The Memphis Bleak. Like, Shouts to Memphis Bleak, though. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, Memphis Bleak. I guess uh, Vanessa Torres was like the Amil. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness! Wow, we're re- but, uh, we are really comparing. We're really comparing Element to The Rock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess so. But I mean, Element, like, I'm just looking at their team now and I know it's like they have some fucking rippers. Like, in addition to Westgate, they got a bunch of Euros, like, Medars, Apps, that guy, Jocko Okanen. You know what I mean? A couple other Euros, I think. But yeah, like Temple has been saying, like, Element Europe is, like, legit cool. You know what I mean? They have cool riders who take cool, cool spots and do cool shit. So they got that going for them, I guess. You know what I mean? Yeah, and Element's been doing element europe for a long time you know like we kind of talk about this every so often is like skateboarding branching out past the americas and element was kind of a a leader in that with element europe and like always had the sickest dudes and you know again they branched out into like the female world and they sponsored vanessa torres when nobody was sponsoring girls so it's like you know they they did some good with their considerable um pocketbook this is true, and you know they they absolutely deserve credit for that. And maybe you know we think about a lot of the companies that we grew up with who are still big in the skating world. Um, Soltech, you know, home of Etnies and S and America, you know, Element, you know, they have scaled to a point that was unimaginable twenty five years ago, thirty years ago. And so they can't operate the way that they once did. And they employ more people. Like These are companies that probably have at least 401k. I don't know if they got matching, but they're at least offering some type of retirement plan, basic health care. You know, you actually have real design staff. You're not leaning on one person to do everything. You know, there's actually like a considerable number of people who are helping keep things going. A, a proper travel agent, somebody who's actually going through and booking tickets, got everyone's passport numbers, everything good to go. You know, like you look at somebody like Nigel, Nigel doesn't travel that much, but, you know, at least outside of the United States anyway. But, you know, he's he's a a busy dude. Like folks who are operating at that level are busy. But I think when we're thinking about who's still on, I think it's worth thinking about who's no longer on, like who's left, right? In the last like two years, 18 months, two years, right? You know, I mean, like, Niger, like, this is just the news about the three folks, including Niger, who just left, right? And Nassim left. Dom Walker, Durant, Tim Tim, you know, Cookie. Um, Evan Smith. Yeah. Evan Smith. Tyson Mason Peterson. Silva. Yeah, Mason Silva. I'm looking at this list that doesn't have the last names. Uh, Julian. Uh, Julian Davidson. <clears throat> Ish yep. Sapita. Nassim Gomez. That, that was, like, I hope he lands somewhere good. He's fucking rad. He'd be sick on Wait, Palace. Did, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up somewhere like Pal- Palace. Um, who else? Like, Ish, like, where's he at? He's uh, he's on DC. He rides for DC. And he's I think sick. he rides for April. Okay. Yeah, he's on April. Nice, nice, nice. You know, Mason is obviously on Real. Uh, Tyson is on Baker. So, I mean, here's the thing. We, there's no transparency into how much more or less these folks are making but they all seem to be going for companies that have some type of an identity some place that kind of matches their their vibe and their lifestyle whatever whatever so what is is that the recurring theme here is it so much of a money thing i mean i imagine that there's folks who are an element who are just happy being comfortable yeah well well listen whenever I, like you said there's no transparency it's 100 percent opaque like 100 percent opacity like whenever people leave companies in bunches like DGK or even like going back to like Girl Chocolate or whatever, there's always some like money sh- issues going on. So mm-hmm. based on that, that's what I would infer is going on. Like I really can't say, but you know what I mean? Based on, you know, precedent, mm-hmm. that's what I would infer is going on. So. Yeah, from from my rudimentary internet research, <laughs> it seems like there is some uh, some money stuff. Element is owned by Board Riders, which is a conglomerate that owns Roxy, Quicksilver, DC, Von Zipper, and maybe some other shit. So there, and then Board Riders is owned by 
another um, company, uh, Oak Tree Capital. So I think there's a lot of you know pencil pushers and number crunchers in their ear. And Johnny Shilriff got furloughed due to COVID, and now it seems like he's fully fully out at Element. He made an announcement in the last couple of days. So I, I think this is a is this is like a money a money thing where somebody at Oak Tree Capital or Board Riders was like it was probably Oak Tree Capital. You know, I would imagine the board riders folks all kind of understand the value of a pro rider where the Oak Tree guys are probably like, why are we giving this skater $800,000 a year or whatever the salary is like, you know, they could just say, well, we'll just, you know, cut this guy's salary and then we can keep that $800,000 a year to ourselves and still still sell a lot of logo boards. Yeah, I, I mean, I imagine that. There's definitely a lot of very difficult meetings that have been happening because of COVID. Contradictory, considering the fact that most companies are complaining that, you know, we can't keep boards in stock. You know, the demand is outrageously high. It's getting to the and shops are complaining that, well, not complaining, but, you know, shops are commenting that, you know, folks are buying board, board brands that never moved off the shelf, right? Because oh, yeah. they're just so desperate for anything, right? So it kind of runs contradictory. But at the same time, though, you know, this is a... We have no idea how big Oak Tree Capital's portfolio is, right? If they are anything like any kind of investment firm that is invested in action sports, on one hand, you probably got a couple cool folks in there who either used to skate or still skate, uh, who probably helped shepherd the deal, but maybe they've moved on and gone to do something else. It's a bit like in music, where if the A and R who signed your group is no longer there, you no longer have somebody representing you in the business decision-making process. And there's no guarantee that that person, that you are going to be, that somebody is going to advocate for you and, and, and work alongside you and make sure that your career is as successful as it can be. And I think that losing so many riders over the last two years must be making some folks nervous. And I think what's difficult on our end here you know, on a skate podcast or for skate media in general is that, you know, it's very difficult to talk about mergers and acquisitions when you got no data. Like we have no information. Like this is purely speculation. Yeah, which I kind of hate to to be just putting speculation out there, but um, that's all we got and we got to make a show every week. So here we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like, you know, that that's the funny thing about capitalism. capitalism. Like you've seen it with like a bunch of brands. Like you start something cool, it's just you and your friends making shit that you think is cool and it keeps scaling and scaling and scaling and eventually you know you bring different you know conglomerates in or whatever and it keeps scaling and scaling and eventually it's kind of like uh what's that thing with the snake that keeps eating its own tail the what's it called like ouroboros or whatever kind of like it keeps scaling and scaling and scaling until it can no longer it sustain can, itself yeah That's it's, it's not sustainable yeah, I mean, I think that's what happened with Alien Workshop. It's like, you know, yeah. Burton bought them and they're like, okay, we need we need to grow. We need to take on this uh, debt to like expand our soft good offerings. And then it didn't quite work out. And then they've got all this debt and then they're gone. And then, yeah, and reborn. Like, I guess the end, at the end, like it keeps scaling so much that eventually it's owned by some like amorphous holding company or whatever that licenses out the brand to like Kohl's or like Burlington Co. Factory. Shout, shout out Burlington Co. Factory, by the way. Like, I love it. But you know what I mean? That's just pretty funny to me. Yeah. And I think we're, we're as skaters, we're suckers for things being special. We want things to be our own. Yeah. We want a sense of ownership over them. And so to see them in Burlington Coat Factory or a Kohl's is always disappointing and a bit weird because it, especially those of us who grew up in the 1990s where there was a very strong secret society element about skating, graffiti, hip-hop. Like you saw someone in a skate shirt, you knew that you were going to be homies because there were no skaters. You know, you contrast that to, you know, we're all late 30s, early 40s here. So, <laughs> you know, and especially now in 2021, skateboarding, skateboarding is about to be in the Olympics and we'll get to the Olympics in just a sec. But you know, skateboarding is omnipresent. You know, you have a generation. You know, we're now like what a generation and a half past the past the X Games, right? Like, it is something oh, yeah. that is firmly a firmly a part of global pop culture, and it has a, a strong influence on high fashion, not just like street you know street fashion, 
high fashion, that there are folks who are, you know, working in ateliers in, in Paris and in Milan who are influenced by skateboarding and skate culture. But what's weird for Element is that, and a couple companies like, you know, Crailtap now has, um, was it just just south of a controlling stake is owned by a... Yeah, Altamont. Event, Altamont, yeah. Yeah, yeah there's, there's a venture capital company that has like, what, 48, 49%. Uh, Alien Workshop went through that whole thing where they were owned by Burton and then they got sold and then, you know, Burton ended up... Uh, divesting from them and then for a little while uh, deer deck was holding them up on his shoulders god bless him that's a a different world for skating right there's not every company is going to be like um not every company is going to be main owned and maintained by the same people who started it in the late 80s early 90s there's a lot of there's going to be folks who have to resort to i mean even like huff like but then again now we understand that you know god bless him because today's his birthday you know rest his soul you know, he. I I imagine that he sold a stake and then ended up selling Huff Huff outright, mostly so that he could uh, create solid financial stability for his you know for his family, and because he was becoming too ill to to run a company day to day, and it was just becoming, he was he was physically was not able to by the end of his life. So like that's a, like that's a real thing. Like we have to accept the fact that. Some skate companies will become so big that they need to seek outside investment in order to maintain. But at some point, at some point, it's no longer it's no longer recognizable. And then the weird thing is, we've all heard the stories in magazines and interviews where folks are like, "Yeah, you know, like then the checks stopped coming, and then the checks would come and it'd be for the wrong amount, or they did something wrong, and the checks were bouncing." Like, <laughs> it seems like it's very difficult to have a middle ground where you can have like a nice pro life. There's very few companies that offer that. Oh yeah, I mean, listen, if you're Let's say one week or one fortnight or whatever, however often you get paid, your, your check is half what it was. Like, I'd be like, I'd fucking go berserk. You know what I mean? I'd quit too. Yeah, yeah. you can't fuck with people's well, money. The, yeah, listen. Can't fuck. Bro. <laughs> playing with my money. Exactly. Like playing with yeah. my emotions. <laughs> exactly. I was going to say that. Playing with my money is like playing with my emotions, bro. But yeah, I'd be hot too, man. I would quit in a second. I don't, I don't, I don't blame them at all. You know what I mean? But then, like the like uh, Jason, going back to the curl tap thing, you know, the story now is that like back then we all heard it, like it was something about wheel invoices, right? Yeah, yeah, some shit like that. And the thing is that all everybody's adults now. Rocco's long retired from the skateboard game. Mike and Rick have been co-owners of Curl Chocolate, you know, the curl tap family since '93. So, you know, Mike and Rick now have an understanding of what Rocco was going through. And I think it was Rick who said in some interview, or no, it was Mike Carroll who said, dog, if I could go back, we could probably just have had a conversation about it. But, you know, we were in our late teens and hot-headed and oh, we knew everything. Exactly. Well, it was the right move for them. Hell yeah. But you have, to, you have to wonder, what if they just said, hey, Rocco, can we see the accounts? Can we have like, just a meeting? You order pizza and we talk about this, settle this, like sensible yeah, business I people. I, I, yeah, I think with that situation, it was, like, not 100% sure, but, like, Rick was dating, like, Megan Baltimore at the time, and, like, they were hanging out with Spike Jones and that whole scene, so they had the, um, they had the kind of means to start their own shit, you know what I mean? Yeah, it seemed kind of like a perfect storm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Invoices are not, you know, those dudes yeah. were not, they, they needed to branch out and do their own thing. Yeah, they, you know, they, like, I guess, yeah, and especially, like, it's easy for us to say now as proper adults with bills and responsibilities, in some cases, families, whatever, you know, but you're 19 and you find out someone's playing with your money. It's just, it's like, yo, you, you're just like, yo, I'm, I'm calling a fatwa and death to everybody who's <laughs> death to everybody who's fucking with my check. <laughs> yeah. And there's so much like, less seriously? to lose. You know, they probably didn't have to worry about their health insurance. You know, like if I leave my job, I don't have health insurance, but yeah. You know, Rocco wouldn't wouldn't put anybody on the, the company plan, I don't think. Exactly. And also, health insurance was significantly cheaper in 93. <laughs> but, I, like, did, yeah, if did, you're 19. They have, I, like, like, I don't think World had an HR department that oversaw that kind of thing. You yeah, know, yeah, HR was Steve Rocco. Yeah. <laughs> HR was, yeah, maybe Rodney. But, yeah, they, I don't think they had an HR department. Or, or, a, or no, it was, or, or maybe it was or, Sal. Yeah, maybe, maybe <laughs> Sal, it was Sal Rocco. <laughs> Sal might have been the benefits manager. I don't know. Yeah, you really gonna go to Sal Rocco and complain? <laughs> it's like, yo, this this week's check, you know, this week's check is light, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which I, I think leads us to like a, an interesting question: is 
what's in the future? First of all, what's in the future for Nigel, Dominic, and Chris? And what's going to happen with Element? Templeton, like, what's going to happen with these three? Because they're still hot. Yeah, I think I think Nigel is is so hot. He he might be too hot to handle for most brands. Um, <laughs> I thought maybe primitive. He doesn't really fit like the vibe, but primitive is kind of like an upper level team. Maybe April. Maybe Nigel will do his own thing. I don't know. I like it, it's it's. It's weird because board brands are so different. Like they don't have the the money to like court somebody. Like a you know if if Nigel left Nike, that would be like you know DC and Adidas and whoever else New Balance. I don't know maybe Saucony and Under Armour would get into bidding war too. But I I just don't think that there's that many board brands that could could make an offer to Nigel. Uh, as far as Dominic and Chris, I think Chris Colburn probably would end up doing something with the Warble. That's like his crew, and mm-hmm. that just kind of makes sense. It seems like the Warble, oh, right. like has has the juice to do a board brand, and like this could be the catalyst for that. Dominic Walker, I could see him just kind of following Nigel wherever he ends up, because mm-hmm. they're roommates, right? Doesn't Dominic Walker live with Nigel? Yeah, well, in the I, I was just like looking over um, the Dominic Walker interview in the latest Thrasher before um, this episode, and. Yeah, he said he lives in um, Nigel's warehouse, like the skate park. Ah, according to his interview in the latest issue of Thrasher. So, but yeah, I was, like I was thinking, I was thinking, yeah, that yeah, is exactly, a exactly, yeah, there's, yeah, bro. But yeah, I was going over some scenarios, um, like just getting ready for this podcast. So, scenario A, he goes over to a deluxe because I think he's on Spitfire and Thunder, so some deluxe brand, but. Like real might be over the salary cap, so to speak. You know what I mean? Their team is pretty, uh, pretty fucking loaded. Scenario B, like Temple has said, April, because it seems like he and uh, Shane are homies. Scenario C, like he starts his own brand, like just like Nigel skateboards or whatever, kind of like a Hasoy type of thing. Because like most skaters, they kind of get their brand identity from their board company. Nigel, his personal brand is so strong that like, he could like carry it himself you know what i mean it could just be like nigel skateboards and it would work and yeah like template said i think dominic would probably go wherever nigel went or scenario d you know like every other free agent skater just get deluxe boxes while you're in board sponsor limbo for a while i feel like nigel would skate blanks it's just like you know this is this is uh quality real estate the bottom of nigel's board so he's not going to give it yeah so like he's not going to skate like a anti-hero like uh yeah, that's the classic yeah. uh, between board sponsors. Oh yeah, board. oh yeah, oh yeah, sure. Yeah, Patrick, probably. what do you think? Yeah. Hmm, about where Nigel's gonna go? About any of these guys, Nigel, Dominic Walker, Chris Colburn. Hmm. See, here's the thing. So Nigel, Nigel is, if last I checked, is still part of that investment group that purchased LA Weekly, right? Mostly like Nixonian, Orange County, uh, not quite uh, John Birch Society. Uh, right wing, right? Very, very reactionary, right? So because he is part, he has a tiny, tiny, tiny stake in LA Weekly, but he's still in the group of investors, right? Which means that he has access to people who got capital, right? Which means that he has the ability to fundraise, which is something that most professional skateboarders do not have, that he could actually go and say, hey, I'm going to start a board brand. I'm going to go to my investment manager and my team, and we're going to make a pitch to some of these other folks who I'm in this investment group with, and hey, do y'all want to invest in my board brand? This is, you know, the team that we're going to be putting together. This is such and such. And he has access, you know, and these are folks who, you know, they already have gone into a couple things together, I imagine. So I am, you know, I reckon that he he can pretty much write his own, you know, he can write his own ticket. He can pretty much do whatever he wants. I think Dominic and Chris are a little bit more at the whim of the industry. If Dominic stays tight with Niger, I think he'll be okay. Because also Niger, remember, also got he's getting that uh, energy drink soda money. So and the Nike money and the Nike money. So he's like, he's getting bread. And you're right, he probably could ride blanks, but it wouldn't make sense. I mean, you almost feel like like Jason, like you were saying, strike while the iron's hot. So I think Niger probably had has the ability to start a board brand and on top of that because he might have access to more capital than anybody else who strikes out on their own he might be able to for example like jump the line at a at a wood shop and be able to like hey i'm trying to get this such and such he might be able to hire 
pull some folks away, some really talented designers away. But then again, we don't even know if Nigel has taste. So there is a little bit of a black box. Um, yeah, his, where do y'all his think? taste, I'd say, is questionable at best. But I, I yeah, like but this scenario that he can, he can fundraise, and I kind of like the idea that maybe he could fundraise and be like, whatever the fuck happens to this board company, I'm going to get paid. Whereas if he starts something just out of his garage, then like, you know, he's not going to get paid for a while as, as he builds the brand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 damn. That makes a lot of sense, like, because, like, in the VC world or whatever, the venture capital world, like, the amount that it would take to uh, start a board brand is really interesting for the for these guys, you know what I mean? For the types yeah. of players that he's he's moving with, you know? Yeah, exactly. I think so Nigel's he... got the numbers on his side. If these, You know, these guys like numbers. Nigel's got numbers. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, he's been a pro skater for however many years, top flight companies, top flight sponsorships, you know, however many trophies to his name, how many uh, magazine covers. I mean, the dude is successful. You know, he was in Ballers, you know, on uh, The Rock's <laughs> show. <laughs> so, <laughs> and he, you know, he he rode for one of the biggest skateboard companies and can say, you know, I sold this many boards. I expect to sell that many boards with this new company. Um, mm-hmm. So he, he could, um, you know. Do a little swindle there that may or may not or, work, but you know, wouldn't hurt him or at actually, all. Here's the thing. Maybe he's not just doing a board brand. Maybe he says, like, I'm doing a lifestyle brand. Because Niger does have like this kind of like rich dude and OC, you know, kind of lifestyle thing. And I'm sure there's a lot of folks who've come down from the Bay Area who are in VC. There's VCs in LA, of course, Orange County and San Diego. They probably look at Niger. It's like, he lives a cool life, you know? He has these awesome parties. He skateboards. You know, like I'm, I'm trying to get down with this. Like people who are just desperate to be hip. Like he, yeah. he could probably put together like a whole package and be like, "Yo." Yeah, I mean, I'm just imagining Nigel on the Shark Tank, and I think he would have a very <laughs> compelling pitch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also just like, "Yo, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna take it there." Just like maybe he has got some people in his ears to be like, "Nigel, you're a young man of color. Black is very in. I think you need to lean into that. Black History Month is coming up. Just." Something to keep in mind, buddy. Hey, Nigel might and, be angling for a spot on the blacklist. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> yeah, damn. That makes a lot of sense. You know, it's going to be interesting yeah. next few months to see uh, what moves he makes and shit. I'm, I'm just saying. I'm, I'm just saying. I mean, it sounds cynical as hell, but... Like, this is how business works. There's, you know for a fact that there's somebody's just like, you need to play up the minority angle. Black is very in. <laughs> it's very big. You know, black is beautiful. Remember that from the 70s? Oh, you're too young. <laughs> Nigel, have <laughs> but, you seen this list? We got to get you on this list. <laughs> <laughs> I also take a, actually, <laughs> it's a labor of love. <laughs> but if Nigel wants to make a donation <laughs> to a union... Or uh, a nonprofit uh, that serves the less fortunate, or to a, a soup kitchen, or to a food bank. I would consider, and it have to be one of those hefty ones. Like I'm, I'm talking about donation with commas. I know you got the money, <laughs> but what about okay? But what about Element? And somebody put this in the notes. Is Element going to be refocusing? Is there a way for them to pivot? Because these guys are not dead weight, right? But they were definitely costing the brand a lot of money. Can they pivot? I kind of feel like like the sharks are in the water right now, you know, like I feel like this might be the the kind of nail in the coffin for element. Like, you know, uh Jenkum posted that picture of the sinking ship labeled as element and um yeah, see you know, they say what you will about Johnny Shilrip, but he was the original founder and when a company loses its founder, I've said this before, you know, they kind of lose the captain of the ship and I don't think we can trust Oak Tree Capital to pilot the element ship through the COVID storm. I, I have low expectations. Yeah, like on a street level, like I haven't seen anyone riding element board in uh, years, to be honest. And like I'm, I'm kind of getting like Powell, Powell in like 92 vibes. You know what Ooh. I mean? Like, like a big company that was like too big to fail that kind of like, you know, you know what I mean? Just kind of like fade out. Maybe. But, but like who knows? Like the Euro team is rad. They're definitely fucking rivers so um and they yeah, have a yeah. diverse income stream you know they're they're making a lot of money on soft goods at the mall and stuff yeah, like that yeah. where the team is not that important so i, I think the, mm. the element brand will live for quite some time but i don't think that 
the skate world will be paying much attention to that. Yeah, I, yeah. Like I mean, no matter now. what happens to the skate team, it'll you know. I mean, it's kind of like so big that eventually it'll be like a like a you know what I mean, like a shirt that you see some dude wearing, some fifty year old dude at Wegman's. You know what I mean on the weekend, like you just went to yoga class or whatever. You know that that kind of shit. So I guess so, but I think what's kind of tragic about it is that. You know, this is a company, you know, we, we've just chatted about their history and that everybody has fond memories of that still contributes to skating, that still sponsors great skaters. I mean, the fact that Mark Appleyard put out that part last year that was very, very, very good. Oh, yeah, that was fucking solid, bro. That was a good yeah, point. like, exceptional. And, and maybe that's the frustrating thing, that maybe you allow somebody like him who's, you know, later in his years in skating but still skating and, and competing at a, at a very very high level maybe you can kind of um give them a little bit more place to shine and maybe give a little bit more shine to the euro team now that you know your heavy hitters are not such a drain on finances and basically taking up uh taking up all of your juice you know taking up all of your 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 content clout you know um but you you know templeton you're right like once you lose your founder, you lose the OGs, you lose the people who made the brand what it is. But I see that as kind of an opportunity because now you can just remake it as whatever. Yeah, but what if it just is whatever? Because I could see Element. Element already is a little bit whatever. And I could see them just not leaning into anything. You know, they leaned into the, the Woodsman thing and they mm-hmm. could just like kind of hobble around, not, not really standing for anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, there's always going to be a market for that, especially like out here on the West Coast. Like, folks are like on that, like I said, like natural suburban Rasta thing. Yeah, I guess there's not currently a brand to to step into Elements Place. I mean, maybe like a Hurley or a Ruka or something, just some bland yeah. stuff. I don't know. Like, yeah. Ruka was always, always had like a, a skate uh, kind of thing, and like Hurley. I mean, it feels weird. Like, it feels weird because like these are companies that. Maybe we don't rock them, but like they've sponsored some of our favorite skaters and put some of our favorite skaters on trips that were that produced great footage or great photos. The only the only thing I remember about Hurley is like they sponsored Blink One Eighty Two or whatever. <laughs> or Blink One Eighty Two would always wear Hurley shit. You know what I mean? In that era when they were uh, when they were like really out there doing it. Yeah, I feel like they might have sponsored that that photo shoot where Barra backside flipped over the plane i feel like that might have been a hurley you mean that wasn't a production. real spot that wasn't that was a fake spot there was there wasn't just like a, na- a natural like uh like a fr- like pyramid with an airplane in the middle and some fucking airplane hanger yeah the, the cessna flip was was uh park footage for sure it's yeah and i guess like you actually i don't know how do you have that conversation uh, without sounding cringy or gatekeepery about like where these kind of like mall brands, because like dog, like rest is rest in peace, Dylan Reader, the ultimate, you know, team handsome all day every day. Like he was on some mall brands. Oh, for sure. But that was kind of before he became Dylan. True. But I mean, even like Calvin Klein, like Calvin Klein is not haute couture, you know. It's <laughs> like Calvin Klein is like there's only like one '90s um, high-end fast fashion brand that has has really survived. They're not even '90s. It's Ralph Lauren Polo, who will never die. Calvin Klein was like definitely like artsy, kind of very cool. And now they're just like dog. Y- y'all are in uh, the regular Macy's, not even like the high-end joint. Oh yeah, no, look, bro. I I I have a uh, Calvin Klein blazer that I wear regularly that I got like at Macy's, like off of like the 80 percent sale rack or whatever it's sick yeah, like no knock i mean like it, it's a it's lane so and it pays and yeah, I, I, I don't think know that's like... what it is, is it's a lane and it pays and it's like you know we all can't be yeah. prada or palace or whatever the cool thing is so it's like at least you can all you can be paid yeah or even like louis vuitton just so real quick did y'all see that like on twitter maybe like the new louis vuitton like fall winter 2021 Mm-hmm. Collection with like these like how do how do you even describe it? It's like a, a pullover or whatever with like a cityscape. Oh, I did see that. It. It's yeah, like it, it's really wild shit, bro. It is like oh, didn't like uh, somebody point out like was it like a Louis Vuitton phone posit? <laughs> yeah, it was like yeah, it was like a Louis Vuitton uh, sneaker. I guess that was very very similar to to a phone. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's um, look. I mean, I, I know folks are probably going to hate on that, but that shoe is going to be huge in Washington D.C. <laughs> oh yeah, that's going to be up there, like with like the original phone posits and the Nike boots. The D- yeah, Nike boots are some D.C. shit for real. Hell yeah! Uh, <laughs> shout out D.C. Shout out the whole DMV for that matter, dude. The Nike boot is so big, like dude, even D.C. cops, like um, Metro Police Department, MPD, they got Nike boots. They don't get like the standard issue, oh, yeah. whatever, police work boot. Like somebody wrote it to their contract. And mind you, D.C. is federal district. It is not an independent city. That means somewhere in Congress, there is a law that says that, you know, like because it all has to go through congressional approval before it can go through like anything in the budget. That means Congress signed off on MPD and D.C. rocking the Nike boots. Oh, Marinate yeah. on that. Listen. Listen, it, it should be a state, but that's a whole nother conversation for another fucking podcast, probably. Amen to that. But yeah. <laughs> kind of but yeah, Templeton, you're right. Like, not everybody, not every skater, not every company is going to be cool. Not every company is going to be, I guess you got to pick and choose your battles, right? You got to decide, like, hey, like, am I, also, you can't chase cool because then you're just thirsty and then nobody's going to want to sponsor you. Yeah. Get in where you fit in. You know, maybe that's element, maybe it's not. Yeah. But where, wherever you find a place, be stoked. Which brings us to the end of our show where we talk about what we're stoked on. Jason, what are you stoked on this week? I am stoked on uh, Venture Trucks out of San Francisco in uh, the great state of California. Speaking of which, uh, Venture Team Rider uh, Flo Mertain just came out with a part on freeskatemag.com called En Passant. Like, it's super sick. The usual like Eurotech type of shit that you would expect. It's super in um, a wheelhouse. I think there, there might be a couple MBDs in there. It might be a ledge MBD for the Ender, I think. So if you're into the Eurotech vibe, definitely check that out. Also, stoked on a documentary that is on Amazon Prime. If you have Amazon Prime, it's free, called Blood and Steel, about the Cedar Crest Country Club Burt Ramp from the mid-'80s up in, uh, um, I think it was in, like, Northern Virginia, like Fairfax County, Mountain County, or whatever. That's if the red one, right? For- yeah, it's the really insane looking red one with like telephone poles around it and like people sitting like a platform on the telephone poles and shit. Like really, really wild looking. Like if you're into skate culture at all, it's super sick to check out. I'm kind of bummed that I didn't know about it at the time, but I was only in like fourth grade. So, you know what I mean? Like I knew about Trashmore. Trashmore was like the Mecca. Everyone knew about that, but. Yeah, that's a super sick documentary. Check out if you're into skateboard culture at all At uh, in the 80s. Can't recommend it enough. Patrick, what are you stoked on this week? Uh, I'm stoked on a couple of things, but uh, I'm sad about one thing, and I do want to give my condolences to Mark Waters, who just passed away from COVID earlier this week. Um, he worked at Woodward. He worked at Tamiero, Transworld, Soltech. Uh, he worked with USA Skateboarding. And most recently, he was the executive director at the Ghost Skateboarding Foundation. He also had a hand in the Orange County, California venue called the Observatory, which if you live out here, this is one of those places where if a show sold out in L.A., you could always dip down to Orange County and catch him there in a slightly more comfortable and fun environment, never mind the drive. Uh, wanted to give our condolences to his family. And, um, you know, COVID is still very, very real. Uh, we may have some new leadership in the executive and an actual national plan, but in the interim, please wear your masks, please limit your exposure, wash your hands, and like be safe out there. But, you know, I mean, it's, it's just really, really, really sad. I mean, there was a real outpouring of grief for the guy, and he was definitely someone who was in, really important, not only in skating, but also in music, because a bunch of people hit me up when I was just like, I'd never met the dude, but they were like, yo... My brother played in the band with this dude. He was so he was super awesome. But on to what I'm stoked on. Stoked on Spitfire Wheels. Stoked on Anomaly Magazine, which is based here in L.A. Um, by Kevin Horn. Um, he's originally from Minneapolis, St. Paul. And it's this issue, uh, issue number four that just came out, features a bunch of the crew that made the video Big Budget, which he's in. Uh, shout out to Adam. And I'm also in it. I have a little article about the blacklist. And I'm also stoked on Ben Graham. That's my buddy Ian's brother going pro for Ian's company, Fair Game Skateboards out of Baltimore. Ben is awesome. And I think that board is sold out and and a homie from Skate Twitter actually did the graphics. But we'll throw a link in the show notes. If you find it, cop one because they're super, super cool and um, hyped. Ben has an awesome, awesome Instagram presence. Templeton, what you stoked on, man? 
I'm also stoked on Ben going pro. He's he's a homie from Portland. He lives in Boise now. He showed us around Boise a few years ago on that trip that I keep talking about. Ben's great. Ian's great. Uh, support the homies if you can over at Fair Game Skateboards. Um, but this week, I am stoked, uh, first of all, on the fact that we've raised over $250 for Kevin Wilkins' uh, GoFundMe. Ran the numbers this weekend, and I was just really fucking stoked on all the support and, you know, subsequent stoke on the stickers. So yeah, thanks for that, and I don't know, let's let's see if we can get it up to 500. Also stoked on rival podcaster Kyle Beachy's upcoming book, The Most Fun Thing. Kyle's great. Kyle was actually in the conversation to be on this podcast a long, long time ago, but now he's on Vent City, the rival podcast to this one. Shout out to those guys. Shout out to those guys. Yeah. Should definitely be listening to Vent City. Yeah, and shout out to Giacomundo from Skating is Hard. Um, So yeah, stoked on Kyle Beachy's upcoming book. Uh, I also got another book in the mail this week called Skate Bud from the guys over at Stoke Much. And this is kind of like a beginner's guide to skateboarding. It looks pretty good. I haven't really um, spent a lot of time with it, but stoked to get into that. And that's it for our show this week. Be sure to check out MostlySkateboarding.net for links to the things that we talked about and other show notes. Until next time, you can keep up with us all week online. Patrick, where can the people find you? Y'all can find me on the internet at Colonel K Speaks on the Twitter and at P Kigongo on Instagram. Jason, where can the people find you on the internet? On the Twitter at Carbonite1994, on the gram at Frozen and Carbonite, and writing uh, content for CorpusX.com. Got a new interview coming out within the next couple of weeks and the week after that, so definitely be up checking for that. Pretty stoked on that. Where can the people find you? Uh, the people can find me on Instagram at Mostly Skateboarding and on Twitter at Mostly Skate. See you guys next week. Peace. Be safe. Wear your mask. Later. Later. For my brain just like a rifle Stampede the stage I leave the microphone split Play Mr. Tuffy While I'm on some pretty tone shit Verbal assassin My architect pleases When I was 12 I went to hell for snuffing Jesus Nasty Nas is a rebel to America Police murderer I'm causing hysteria My troops roll up with a strange force I was trapped in a cage And lit out by the main source Swimming and women like a lifeguard Put on a bulletproof nigga I strike hard Kidnapped the president's wife Without a plan And hanging niggas like the Ku Klux Klan I melt mics till the sound waves over Before stepping to me I'd rather step to Jehovah Slamming MCs on cement Cause verbally I'm iller than an AIDS patient I move swift and uplift your mind Shoot the gift when I rip and rhyme Rapping sniper Speaking real words My thoughts react like Steven Spielberg's Poetry attacks Paragraphs punch hard My brain is insane I'm out to lunch guard Science is dropped My raps are toxic My voice blocks locks and excels hey, like a rocket When I grip the mic, I show no mercy I got heart, I rip the party apart from the scenes And hem them up like bell-bottom jeans But you get done, you get blues like 501 Brothers alive, but I bet you I'm live, son So let me get upon the scene and redeem the dream of a team And knock them out like Mitch Green Smoke some tie, we flow at a high speed Rap on, off break, start my like North Flakes Cause I'm living larger than the founders of 50 And Asiatic brothers that many rappers envy So round up your crew and entourage And let the guard merciful just take charge some of them said that the ox should quit, but I don't sweat it, cause I'm too big for that small shit, like pigs when it comes to a showdown, huffing plus, but the ox won't get blown down, cause I come strong, laugh and come at all and I'll be ready, that's what separates me from the petty, and please gas themselves by drinking too much Getty, and get torn the fuck up like confetti, I'm rich it doesn't take Keenan and Ivy Wayne to know that armor. Get your sucker if you bite like a piranha. So say them preschool rhymes for the kids that want the rama. 
point blank, period, with no comma. Rhyme so dangerous, call for the homicide. Cause I knock them dead even when I'm at my worst. The only future that lies ahead of them is the lights from the hearse. Got game like a crackhead, but don't be misled. I keep rappers on lock like a dread. Knocked in the head from the words that I've said. Should get a shovel and dig the grave, cause the shit you talk is dead. And I'm over like hot tracks As far as brothers are concerned I pressure cooker from start To finish I diminish like a Cuisinart Secondly, I'm sick of critics Who's necking me? Ooh, you got an afro Yo, but I got dough Why's my name the large professor? Cause I milked your cow In other words, I hit your heifer Don't talk about how you could break Rambo That's just a bunch of man but your handful Propaganda, save it for Savannah, Joe and Amanda, Zach and Alexandra Don't let the folks around your way puff your head Cause you'll be the owner of a hospital bed I'll kick fire out your ass so fast You'll be as crispy as my man Bill Blast yeah, 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 yeah. 